30 years as an infantryman, a passion for reenacting military marches, and experience managing public lands, Mike Bilbo brings a truly unique perspective to the battalion trek reenactment. His help obtaining permits to allow us to cross public lands was invaluable. He was able to hike with us twice in New Mexico, and what a treat it was to have him along. Today, I'm looking forward to visiting with Mike Bilbo, who was so instrumental in helping Kevin get access to some of the places that were going to be challenging for him to hike across, and specifically BLM lands. Mike also brings an interesting flavor to our experience with the trek, merely because of his passion for reenacting, specifically, military marches. So he and Kevin have that in common. Getting to connect with some of these reenactors that have such a variety of experience and breadth of knowledge about different time periods was a real boon to me, who had had a very limited um, experience up till that point. So having Mike along and to coming, not only helping us get access, but also then hiking with us on parts of the trail was a real treat. So we're excited tonight for you to get to meet him. Mike, thank you so much for joining us tonight. I'm glad to be here. We've had amazing technical challenges this evening. I think it's taken us almost two hours to get all connected. So please forgive any audio glitches that we may have tonight. We're just grateful that we're all connected and can hear each other. So first of all, Mike, would you mind just sharing with our listeners how you connected with Kevin and became involved well, with what he was trying to do? I was working for the Socorro Field Office, the Bureau of Land Management, as an outdoor recreation planner. And uh, Kevin and you had contacted our office for a special recreation permit. You know, obviously you guys have been, been uh, advised that you needed to have something like that for traveling across public lands managed by the Bureau of Land Management. So um, we started working on that, and uh, I, I had determined that I didn't think you guys needed to pay the, the kind of fees that were required. So I talked to management and had your fees waived. Now, Arizona California, they didn't do that. They should have done that, but they didn't. Uh, it's such a small event, not something big like, uh, like I mentioned, I handled the Burning Man permit, which now... Now it's like 80,000 people. When I handled it, it was more like 10,000 people. But still, that kind of thing needs a special recreation permit for outfitters and guides and, and other kinds of things, horse endurance events. Eventually, uh, there was an opportunity for us to meet at a living history farm called Los Golandrinas, which is five miles south of Santa Fe, New Mexico. And so um, it was the harvest weekend. It was in October. And so you guys were there. I mean, you're, you're, the trek had brought you there, and there we were, and you're fixing to, to traverse Mexico public lands, and uh, so I was in, I was doing a, an impression of a Mexican a soldier, soldado, and you guys came to Golandrinas, and uh, it's kind of like, uh, you know, almost like the opening of the Santa Fe Trail, where the uh, Begnell meets the soldados, and, and they go to Santa Fe. But anyhow, and I guess Golandrinas, which is also known as La Cienega, were on the route of the battalion march, the trek south. And did you know much about the Mormon battalion before you ran into Kevin? You know, over the years, I'd, I'd run across uh, bits and pieces about it. And there is the so-called you know, Utah War, which really wasn't a war, but uh, you know, because of things like that, I 
I knew a little bit about the battalion. And because, uh, you know, I, I live at Fort Stanton, New Mexico now, but I've always been interested in, in the, uh, the frontier outfits that uh, were out here. And so Fort Stanton was built in 1855 by the first Dragoons. Well, the Dragoons were the unit that met the Mormon battalion or the Mormons out, uh, I guess it was Council Bluff, Iowa, and they basically are invited to become an infantry battalion to follow in the Dragoons' tracks. You know, the, the Dragoons had, I, I don't know how many hundreds of men and horses, but it would be easy to follow that kind of a track. So I was, I've been aware about the Mormon battalion off and on over the years. Uh, but here, when you guys showed up and you're following the route, that was pretty cool. I mean, that was like, oh, okay, this is, you know, this is really cool. <laughs> Well, you've had a lot of experience with reenacting marches, so would you mind sharing us a little bit, uh, some of the things uh, that you participated sure. in? Uh, you know, th there was three epic marches, uh, Civil War marches by the by the Trans-Mississippi uh, Battalion and the Army of the Pacific called the Red River Campaigns, Red River 1, Red River 2, and Red River 3. Uh, Red River 1 and 2 were about 50 to 70 miles long, and the third one was... Uh, was about 25 miles, but uh, I went on all three of those with the uh, Army of the Pacific as a, as a federal soldier. And uh, there's also Confederates in the field and all that, but you know, th there were, we were in very primitive conditions as it was. And uh, you know, that was in the 90s. And um, in the last, the, the, the last Red River Three was, um, I, I can't remember the date, but it was in the, in the 2000s. But, and those are, um, Authentic campaign, authentic uh, units where you're sleeping on arms and you're you're out there uh, in the backcountry. We were following an original road that uh, that the uh, Federals and the Confederates are on. So that was pretty cool. Another thing that I've been doing since 2008, uh, I started doing it on a lark. Uh, you know, me and me and two other cavers. You know, we're, we're you know one of my hobbies is caving. So. They said, "Hey, we're in really good condition. Why don't we do the? Why don't we go on the Baton Memorial Death March?" And I, you know, that was not far away. There was a White Sands Missile Range, and I said, "Yeah, that sounds pretty cool." So we we decided to try doing that, and that's the marathon, and it's uh, it it, it commemorates the uh, the 200th Coast Artillery, New Mexico National Guard, and all the all the other units, the nearly 80,000 men who were in the Baton Death March. You know, in, in World War II, uh, in which some some 1,200 to 1,500 Americans were killed, and about 10,000 Filipinos were killed. Uh, it was a war crime, and uh, so uh, I've been doing that every year. And I started I started uh, wearing uh, a recreated uniform of the New Mexico National Guard in 2014, and I still do that. I, you know, last year we had the virtual march. We didn't have the real one, but 2022 we're going to reconvene at White Sands Missile Range and do uh, the 26.2 miles of quality suffering. <laughs> and, and what time of year is that? And that's going to be uh, the third week of March, I believe. And uh, they, they're, they're allowing people to do virtual marches if they'd like to do that, uh, or or meet at White Sands, and I'm going to go to White Sands. So they're going to require everybody to have, you know, the vaccinations and the booster shot to be to go on that. So how how long do they allow for you to accomplish that? 
that's a day. You have to have that done. The, the march starts about 7.30 in the morning, even though you have to be out there uh, at 5.30, and sometimes it can be pretty cold. But uh, it starts at 7.30, and you, get, and you really have to be done by the time the last wounded warrior comes in. So, you know, you guys are familiar about the wounded warrior program. Well, wounded warriors lead this thing off. And uh, they, they do this 26 miles. Some of them do a, a, a shorter course of 14 miles, but it's amazing to see those people uh, doing that, people who lost their, their legs. And there are other words, uh, in other, other ways, um, you know, just disabled from uh, their combat service in, in a, Iraq or Afghanistan. Uh, uh, and um, so, uh, you know, you, you got to, they close the, they close it down when the last wounded warrior comes across the finish line. And that's usually a, a, about eight, eight thirty to nine o'clock at night. I try to, most people try to get it done by three o'clock. Um, I usually get it, get it done by about, um, um, around about seven o'clock. Cause I, I walk a little bit slower than everybody else <laughs> for the first eight miles, for, for the eight, first eight miles, your adrenaline, you know, has you going. But then it begins to slack off, and um, and from mile eleven to mile fifteen, you're going uphill at a kind of a aggravating uh, angle, uh, and you're going through deep sand. You're going around Mineral Hill out of the White Sands Missile Range. You, you go past Pat Garrett's ranch site from the 1870s, and um, so, you know, and then then you, you look off 10 miles and you see little tiny bitty water towers in the far distance, and that's where you're going to end up at. This is interesting to me to hear you describe what you put yourself through. <laughs> How did you describe it? 26 hours uh, of what? 26.2 miles of quality suffering. The same kind of quality suffering you guys did on the Mormon Battalion trek. Well, I'm not sure that we suffered that much, but you, it, this just opens up the vision that you have a very different perspective than most people on what the actual Mormon battalion endured because you have gone on long um, forced marches and right. we did contiguous smaller marches, but you share with us what it's like to give a long march like that where you know you've got to keep going and as you say going uphill in sand it, it also it you know it's probably related to me having been an infantryman in the u.s army so i have this background i'm a 30-year veteran and um, i spent 10 years in the active infantry and then moved over to the army reserve but um you know I, my, my MOS the whole time was 11 Bravo infantry. Um, and um, so, uh, you know, it was leg infantry. I, I was never in a mechanized infantry unit. I was always straight leg infantry. So we did long marches. And so uh, I started doing reenacting when I was in the Army, the 3rd Cav at Fort Bliss. And um, so the, the two kind of morphed together it was really cool how we how it became about 
Question, when, when you do the Bataan Death March reenactment, are you carrying packs? Um, there's these categories. There's individual and team categories, uh, civilian and military, and light and heavy. Um, I've never really done the heavy category. Um, I have done some virtual marches. Uh, like uh, there's, a, uh, there's a Facebook page called Straight Out of Bataan. And there's a, a, a organization called Memorials of Honor, uh, where that you do virtual baton marches, the, the original 60.1 miles. You can do that either in one shot or as in segments. Um, but uh, the, uh, uh, you know, the uh, the other one is, you know, it's it's, a, it's just a regular marathon. Uh, they have. They have water stations every three miles where you get electrolytes, water, bananas, and, and uh, orange orange sections. Um, and so, um, uh, let's see here. Um, so the so the light version is not carrying a pack. The heavy version is you're carrying a pack. Yeah, you have to carry thirty five pounds, a minimum of thirty five pounds. The virtual requires me to carry at least fifteen pounds. So I carry about 25 pounds, actually, on all the hikes I do. And that's that's currently going on. I'm, um, I have to have that done by December 31st. So I'm using that virtual to as a way to get ready for uh, the Wonder White Sands Missile Range. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. This is a real man. <laughs> and if you guys, if, you know, it's, if, if anybody wants to go on that, it's really cool. Just... Go on the computer, batonmarch.com, and sign up. And if you join me, if you're lucky, you'll get to walk with Mike. I got to walk with him one day, and it was a delight. He is the real deal. I would love to hear what your thoughts are, Mike. Having been infantry, what do you imagine the experience was like for the battalion? Well. Uh, those guys were, they were fired up, you know, they're, you see, this is what, something that's always intrigued me about the Mormons, you know, that it, 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 they're persecuted by the U.S. government, and yet the U.S. government asked them to, to help in the Mexican War, or the Mexican, we call it the Mexican-American War now, and, uh, you know, it's, and it's amazing that, that the Mormons were, you know, they're persecuted, but they turn right around and say, we'll help will do this thing and and they're doing it you know they're those guys are are well when they had the men the, the older men the women and children who got dropped off at pueblo uh or sent over to pueblo uh they you know they're they are uh, they're moving forward you know they're eager um you know they've got they're gonna have hardships in front of them but now you got to remember it's the 19th century and people are walking walking immense distances on the Oregon Trail and the California Trail. I mean, that's, you, you can ride horses and mules, you can ride uh, burros, you can ride in wagons, but a lot of people walk. Yeah. And, uh, and, and one of the things about wagons, covered wagons and all that, is sometimes those wagons weren't, weren't as stable as you might think. <laughs> and when things didn't look good, um, even the kids would be told to get out and walk. You know, you're not going to be, uh, you're not going to risk the safety of children 
uh, in a wagon that might be unstable. And that happened a lot. I mean, uh, so uh, that's the way people got around, you know. And, and uh, so I think the, you know, these, these guys had a mission. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's to go to San Diego, right? And it's to, they're following, literally following the, the uh, horse tracks of the 1st Dragoon Regiment which is about 1,200 horses. And uh, they, they also get this interesting mission to, to pick up uh, and continue to build a road. So this, this, is, this is an army road. You know, it's, it's been, it's called the Butterfield Trail, right? Well, I wish they wouldn't call it the Butterfield Trail. It was really, it's the, it's the, it's, it's a, it's an army road that was built from San Antonio out to around where Hatch, New Mexico is, the Mormon Battalion's job was to, was to build, pick that up and keep on building. So we have this really good road that goes all the way to California. And so, you know, they got this mission. And uh, I, I think they, uh, they accepted that mission with alacrity and moved forward. I mean, you know, uh, they might have had some, some hard times and things like that, but but by God, they're going to do that mission, you know. Well, yeah, Brigham Young had to explain it to him that this was the thing we needed to do. Otherwise, I don't think they would have gotten too many guys. Yeah, and so the, the, the leader says, hey, you know. So um, that was their mission. And they, you know, and, you know, also you got to think about those guys are like, uh, how many people were there? What was the battalion? They started with a 500. By the time we got down and left the Rio Grande, it was down to 335. Yeah, and so, you know, you think about a group of people like that, and they're in the isolation that they're in, it's the wilderness. I mean, you know, civilization in those days is back on the other side of the Mississippi. And where are they at? They're way out in in, in, in a... In uh, Arizona, Arizona Territory, I think New Mexico was part of Arizona Territory at the time. So it's like uh, you're no, on your no, own. No, 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 no. We were invading Sonora. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't Arizona. Yeah, we were invading Sonora. And and you're right. You know, I. that's one of the things that really... You read the journals and they talk about the guides are, are worthless because they won't go too far out of the way to get in front of the group and, and, and really look. My gosh, when you get out there and, and you mentally put yourself into their situation, realize, well, just over that hill could be a whole gang of Apaches or Navajos or whoever. And if I'm out here by myself without backup, uh, things could get dicey really quick. You know, and that's exactly right. Those guys are going through, and, and so guess what's going on? You know, uh, every every chance that the uh, Apache and Navajo got a chance to step up the rating, um, you know. So here's here's the uh, American military forces focused on going to California, and uh, significant there's a significant army down in Mexico, so um, so the naturally the Apaches and the Navajos are going to step up. They're going to take advantage of that. They did the same thing in the Civil War period. Yeah, and and they did. They yeah. they raided on either side of the battalion and the other army units coming down the Rio Grande. Yep, that's exactly right. And, and the the Mormon battalion went right through some, some of the 
real dangerous places that, you know, if anybody else uh, could get in trouble. Of course, the Mormon battalion is, is well, is fairly well armed. Um, and, uh, and, and I, you know, that's an interesting question. Uh, how good are shots for most of those guys? Uh, were, back back home, if they were hunters, you know, um, were, were, uh, how, what were their shooting skills like? That That's an interesting question, and I'm going to have to answer it obliquely. Um, most of them were carrying muskets, which didn't have a rear sight. And, uh, of course, that's a very different. It's a very different gun than you would use if you were trying to uh, rifle something. Uh, a musket right. not having rifling is is horribly inaccurate. And, uh, you know, effective range is basically only 100 yards at best. But we do know that uh, about five men per company, so we'd be close to 25 uh, of the guns were, were rifles. Uh, and we suspect those were handed out to the hunters or men who uh, were the yeah. best shots were designated as hunters. And, yeah. Uh, and, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. and in the journals, yeah, but, there's, there's frequently mentioning, you know, we're, we're taking down antelope, we're taking down buffalo, we're taking down, you know, what have you. Uh, one guy in particular uh, that was up in Pueblo, he specifically mentions they gave him a smaller caliber uh, rifle and uh, he, he would wait till it was a full moon night, then he'd go out and he'd plunk turkeys out of the trees by the light of the moon. <laughs> you know, one thing about the Apaches, they, the Apaches did not like to fight at night, neither did the Navajo. So actually, you know, that, that, that also makes sense. You know, there's, there's a, that guy was, uh, doing two, was operating on two different levels at the same time. He's That's avoiding it. contact by hunting at night, but also there's there's birds, right? Yep. Um, <laughs> and there's safety in numbers. When you got 335 guys plunking at the same time, uh, you don't want to be near that unless you're you've got superior numbers. Yep, that's true. Well, since you were working for the BLM, Mike, and you just mentioned the terrain and the areas that they were going through. Can you even give us a ballpark figure of how much of the trail is on land that people would need access to at this point? Or is that a silly question? Not. It's a lot. Is a, People can, uh, you know, the public land is, one thing uh, uh, you hear people say, BLM land or forest service land, it's not, the agencies don't own the land. It's, it's your public land. Uh, the agencies just manage it at, at the uh, pleasure of Congress, the U.S. Congress. So therefore, uh, the the Mormon Battalion route, once you get to um, New Mexico, uh, it covers a lot of public ground, public lands ground. Yeah. Um, also, uh, a lot of places that the Mormon Battalion went are now highways and roads that have been paved over. A lot of U.S. highways tend to have been paved over military roads and things like that. So visitors can follow in the footsteps of the Mormon Battalion any place, you know, back east, any place that it's a, a county road or a, a highway or things like that. And once you get out uh, away from the uh, the eastern lands where mostly everything's private, 
uh, once you get out into the into the western states where you have public land, a lot of the Mormon battalion uh, route is in fact accessible to the public. I mean, huge huge long distances of of it are, which you guys obviously experienced. There's still places that there are private property that it went across, but um, but there's a I, I'd say golly. In New Mexico, I'd say probably 60 percent, maybe large, maybe greater than that of, of public land is available. That's that's an interesting question. We'll have to go back and look at that and actually see if we can calculate that. And and when you mentioned private land, of course, you know when we were down in the boot heel, um, we had made contact with a uh, landowner, and down in the very southwest corner, uh, which is private. And uh, they had they had said if I came on their property, they would have me arrested. <laughs> and so you know we were we uh, we told them that we would honor that and we would hike right up to the fence, but we wouldn't cross the fence if uh, if they didn't want us on their property. And I'd been negotiating with them for over a year uh, to see if they would uh, grant us access. And do you know it was less than two weeks before we got there that uh, I got a call from uh, their lawyer who said who asked uh, if we were still in the we he he knew we were in the area and he said uh, so do you still want to hike that property and I said well yeah we'd love to if we could get permission to <laughs> he said well Argh. he kind of growled he said well I'll give you permission to have four people on the property. And so uh, that's when we called you back and said, "Hey, Mike." Yeah, that that it was that's the guy that met us, right? Yeah, the rancher. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, the, so the the boot hill trek was really really fantastic. Um, you know, I remember that border patrol truck stopped right there in the middle of the road, and and we're 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 coming to rendezvous with you guys. We we kind of didn't we got got the rendezvous place a little bit wrong, but we finally uh, met up with y'all. And I remember the, um, uh, the, um, you guys, you guys saw that truck. You have a photograph of that truck, right? Oh yeah. So the, the, the engine is running and, uh, we're, we're sitting in the middle of the County road, which is called the Mormon battalion County road is the name of it. Mormon battalion, uh, trail. And, um, and all of a sudden, we see a line of Mexicans and a guy with a shotgun come walking out from uh, over where, where a, a, a rocky bluff was at. Do you remember that? No, you, you weren't there for that part, right? No, I, I think I missed that part. <laughs> and, and, and then what's even more exciting, so you know the National Guard was employed along the border yeah. in a lot of different places. They st I think they still are. But all of a sudden, whoa! Right overhead of them, right, comes a cobra. And it comes out from the same direction they were. And the guy just turns around. The guy told, he, he, he signaled us to get out of there with his thumb. And, but just as we're leaving, that you know, helicopter comes roaring out and just spins around you know, on, like on a, on a dime. And you can, see the, you can see the Gatling gun kind of moving up and down. I mean, you know, obviously they're not going to shoot him, but that was a, it was a National Guard um, helicopter in support of them and uh that was pretty cool 
wish I could have taken a photograph of that, but we were, you know, we were heeding the uh, directions by hand signal of that guy to get out of there. <laughs> and that was a, a, an issue. Later on, we were briefed by the Border Patrol. Uh, uh, remember that girl, uh, that woman from uh, the Border Patrol who said, if we're, when we're out there walking, if we if we see anybody else, we've got to get down, lay down. Yeah. Don't be don't be spotted by anybody out there. Uh, and they would be overwatching us. So by high tech means, um, and um, so you know, even though you're out there, uh, if if you encounter illegal uh, illegals, you know that could be a dangerous situation. Uh, so uh, you know, we we we've got an Overwatch someplace out there, but we're still, you know. But we, of course, we didn't see anybody. But you know, we saw that we saw places where where water had been cached and all that kind of thing. We saw a lot of trash yeah. uh, from all the stuff that people were leaving as they came across the. That's before there was a. There wasn't a fence there, was there? Uh, not in that uh, area, no. Well, I mean, I'm sure there was a barbed wire fence, but that was about it. The wall had started to be built further okay. down. Yeah. Yeah. That was a beautiful so, day. That yeah, was, was just truly a magnificent area. And, and in defense of the, the family that owns the property, they're very concerned that the properties not get chopped up and sold off as small acreage farms or, or things. And they're trying to restore it. And so they're very jealous that the area not be uh, uh, abused any more than it has to be. And uh, they're working very hard to restore the, the fauna and the flora, more like it was back at the time of the battalion. And I just, uh, you know, even though they're being kind of hard-nosed about things, I understand the rationale for that, and I applaud them for it. And I, I think the, the, the Bureau of Land Management and their range management program is doing the, the same thing. Yeah. Um, and which is really interesting. After we uh, met so many uh, people along the road that had told us how people were just plowing up wagon ruts and destroying them, you really gain an appreciation for these people that are trying to preserve things. And it's, you know, it's interesting how in so many places the, the Mormon battalion route has been paved over. I mean, you know, apparently we were, we were on those county roads that that was like right on the actual, I, I think that when they were, or in the earlier time periods when they were building those county roads, they were probably following the, the ruts. Close enough in many cases, yeah. Um, but we also saw we also saw intact ruts in a, a lot a lot of places. Yeah. You know, one thing uh, always was when we went down when, when we were walking along in the boot hill, and then we started going downhill. Uh, toward that guy's ranch, um, we uh, started to, we got into that situation where we were wondering how could these wagons have gone down this narrow canyon, they would have had to have rolled down the canyon on the hubs of their wheel, of the wheels. And it uh, turns out that um, later on, when I went out to Nevada and was uh, in the Winnemucca field office, the we had the Applegate Lassen uh uh, cut off of the of the California Trail, that kind of thing. In fact, happened. Uh, they also had blocks and tackles uh, for all the wagons to lower them down that way, remove the stock, and uh, so uh, 
that's like standard operating uh, standard operating procedure SOP in the 19th century. You know, you don't think twice about doing that. You don't want to do it because it's a lot of work. But uh, when you have to do it, you have to do it. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I, I, at that time, I was just like, wow, you know, uh, uh, is this really the canyon they went down? or Because the, the, uh, the rock was all igneous and uh, sticking out, you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm convinced that we went over the edge where they went over the edge. Uh, exactly how they got through all of that and down to the ranch house. I'm still perplexed. I would love to go spend two or three more days hiking that up and down and up and down. But we know we know that they came down right about where the ranch house is because uh, the next day they found the Guadalupe Canyon proper. And and so, that yeah, we, we, we know the beginning up there and we know the end when they came down. It's the in-between that's, you know, only used once or twice, and so it's going to be hard to find. Of course, these guys, are, these guys are pioneering a road. They're building a road as they're doing this, and so they're going along fairly slow. They're not they're not doing this thing, whole thing at a rapid pace. And uh, so I guess they had a beef herd with them also, right? Yeah, yeah. So there was, there was a source of food. So that you've got a tin, stuff like that. Uh, but it turns out that they're going down through... Declivities like that, uh, those wagons had block tackle on them. Yep. And uh, how many wagons did they have with them? At that point, they were probably in the 40 to 50 range. So uh, I was surmised that they, I think it's actually reported that they did that, isn't it? That they took, uh, removed the, the uh, stock um, and they lowered the wagons down by block and tackle. And if it's not recorded, they, they probably did that. They don't specifically say block and tackle, but they do talk about the men being uh, tied to the wagons yeah. by rope and, and lowering them. Yeah. Yeah, there's something to look back on to, to take a look at. Because, like I said, that's, uh, that's SOP. For the world of wagons, it uh, doesn't matter who you are. I mean, they're carrying that block and tackle in those wagons, you know, everybody. Because that's what you're going to... You have to be ready to negotiate all kinds of obstacles uh in, in route had to be um, prepared yep and uh, uh and if you have to roll down a narrow declivity on your the hubs of your wheels then that's what you do you know what's what's really interesting about wagons is is uh you know when we go take a modern uh a four-wheel drive vehicle and you go on a, a, a rocky road and you're bouncing all over the place because we have these shocks and we have these springs when they had uh when they had wagons attached to mules or oxen they're going, they're going slow, and those wheels go up and over. When you go to a, a, a place where you can really see this is uh, you go to the Black Rock Desert of northern northwest Nevada uh, and go up uh, you know, Fly Canyon, and some of the obstacles that the uh, 49ers had to negotiate, you'll see that kind of stuff. And you read, uh, you read where, they were, where they were doing exactly that. These, what they, they had wagon slides. They had places where they had to do the block and tackle thing, and it's and it, it's on a big scale. It's a, it's a again, it's SOP. So the Mormon battalion was doing that. Yeah, over on the California Trail, uh, the descent from where the interstate is now down to Bear Valley. Ah, uh, my gosh, <laughs> that's insane. <laughs> yep, yep, absolutely. That is so steep, and you just think, how did they do that? And a lot of those places, by the way, 
back to the question about public land, you know, the, the listeners can go and, and see those places because a lot of it's public land. Yeah. I mean, and you can sit there and say, how do they do this? Yeah. <laughs> it makes us seem like whiners when we get a flat tire and have to get it fixed. <laughs> we, we have it made. You know, it's the 21st century. We've got it made, you know. Uh, but it, it's astounding when you come to places like that So that's the end of part one of our tour with Mike Bilbo. So uh, come back for part two. 